Peter Travers of Rolling Stone calls this movie a killingly funny spoof of crime and non-punishment. Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times laments that he is not sure why this isn't very funny, but it's not. And Letterboxd user Von Trapp says, I'm with her. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of Serial Mom. Reboot. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhoods Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters. Kathleen Turner? Is that you? Why, yes. How did you guess? Ah, <laughs> uh, hello, everyone. Welcome to Ruined Childhoods, the podcast where we talk about movies and we talk about because there seem to be very few original ideas coming out of the movie business these days into the theaters. What would we do with these things if we were given the money and no option no whatsoever? Limits. No limits, no money, and or, no, lots of money, no limits, and no choice, but no to problem. do something with them. Right, no problem, because <laughs> we spend uh, an, an, an hour or two each week talking about it. So we're, we're ready. Like, if ever, Hollywood, if you're listening. Yeah. The Hi. entity of Hollywood. Hi, Hollywood. You know, I, I, I think we'd, we'd work cheap and we've got a whole, we've got an archive of ideas for you. Dan, you say that we work cheap, but I, I don't know if you knew this, but Ruined Childhoods was listed in a top 20 trend podcasts article on whelpmagazine.com. I found out about this because they emailed us today to let us know, and uh, it's a thing. It's, uh, you know, they have they seem to have a lot of top podcast lists of 2021, and I can't say I know any of the other podcasts on that list, but thank you to the fine folks at Welp Magazine. Because of you, we work a little less cheap. Oh wow! So yeah, I'm I'm hearing this for the first time. I right was now. wondering. I intentionally didn't text you about it. Oh okay. Oh yeah, you were wondering if I saw the the email come in. Right. Uh, yeah, I did not know that. And when you first were talking about that, I was like, wait a second. There's another podcast called Rune Childhoods. What do they talk about? <laughs> and and it it did it, it did not sink in that you were talking about us. But yay, that's exciting. No, it's a exciting. Real, it's, I'm excited. Yeah, it's a real thing. Um. So yeah, there, no, that's there's awesome. That. There's that. Yeah. Okay. Well then, Hollywood. That's my. You better get us before we make any other lists. Yeah. Before we, uh, you know, get too many more listeners, aside from the literal dozens that we have now, uh, and who and we welcome. love and appreciate. Yes, we certainly do. We, who we love and appreciate. We're excited to have you with us. We're excited to to talk about Serial Mom. Absolutely. Yeah, and by the way, just to just to say, it was especially it's been an exciting couple of weeks. It is especially exciting to be able to um to to record with you live when yeah, we talked that about was Cabin nice. Boy. That was really nice. 
Yes, it was so pleasant. And not that it's not pleasant recording the way that we do. I'm in Seattle. John is in Portland, Oregon. True. And yeah, but like just so pleasant to, uh, you know, sit across the the couch in, in real life. And and talk about a uh, a 1994 cult classic, as we shall do again this evening. Right. Yeah. So this is our. I can't believe it's our first John Waters movie. It took us 119 episodes to get to John Waters, a uh, an auteur filmmaker, if there ever was one, uh, who I I love his work. It is. It is not the kind of movie that you can, or it's not the type of movies that you can just watch any time that you just put on for the sake of putting on. It's like there's there's usually a you know you have to be in a certain mode to really get into a John Waters movie. I yes, although I do think that the stretch from Hairspray uh-huh. through I would say Pecker. Yeah. Possibly serial mom. I would I would put it at Pecker. I feel like that stretch of John Waters is like Crybaby, that's a fun movie. Crybaby right. Crybaby, I feel like is the most maybe commercial polyester, hairspray. Um I I don't know about poly- yeah, polyester, polyester. I would Hair, still consider hairspray I think has become because of the transformation from screen to stage to screen. So that's there's just a little difference there. I really I really enjoy Pecker. What was that like 98 maybe? 90 I believe 90. So, yeah, actually yeah, no, I think 98. Wow. Then cool for me. To I was going to say on. 97, but I I don't know. Well, my late my my dance sense told yeah, me Yeah, late not to. 90s. I uh, really fun movie that I really want to watch again especially after watching Serial Mom. Was I right? 98? 98. Yes. Yeah. And and in fact, like I used to and if you're listening to this and you borrowed my DVD of Pecker <laughs> and by some miracle you you still have it. Uh you know what? Keep it. Enjoy. Enjoy it. Think of me when you watch yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Pecker's a fun movie. Uh, Serial Mom, we're going to get into soon. Crybaby, I think, is definitely, um, I think because of Johnny Depp, maybe watched more, you know, by a wider audience. I think, because, yeah, well, because of Johnny Depp, it also, it was the bit like, um, Hairspray was released by, by New Line Cinema mm-hmm. in 88. And it, I mean, I remember like it got a theatrical release, but Crybaby, even though like it wasn't a big hit, I remember like Cry, Crybaby was like a universal pictures and it wasn't yeah. just like, you know, an independent company and, and Universal was destroyed. Like it was a universal production. Right. And uh it it featured some uh some fantastic songs and sure. had uh Johnny Depp and Amy Locaine, who yeah. we've spoken about before on on the podcast, um, you know, in uh school ties. Right. I can't remember if we talked about her in any other. We talked about her on the episode after Tango and Cash, because I feel like you were talking about how Crybaby, Amy Locan and Crybaby was a a significant experience for you. 
Yes, yes. The movie Crybaby, uh, it, it, I, I won't go into more detail about like, you know, watching it for the first time. Um, not not for any reasons other than we might talk about it at some sure. point. Sure, yeah, so, I hope so. <laughs> um, no, Crybaby had uh, so many great songs, the musical performances, it moved along fast. I mean, Iggy Pop is in Iggy Pop yeah. is fantastic in it. Uh, I'm trying to remember who else pops up in that movie. <laughs> didn't, right. didn't hear that one come until it came out. Uh, I, I, I can't remember like who, uh, you know, the usual cast of characters, Mink Stoll, Patricia Hearst. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so, and that's something that I want to talk about is kind of like the John Waters crew, the players, the, the John Waters players. You know, I feel like John Waters is kind of like, you know, if Andy Warhol like fell into a vat of acid, like these are the people that would have like come along on his posse. You know, you have your your Meg Stoll, you have your um, Tracy Lord. You know, you have those yeah. types of people. I mean, Patty Hearst is. I, I love that she's part of his crew. Uh, oh, she's fascinating. Yeah, and uh, and I mean, of course, maybe Divine. Just by by the way. Oh, obviously, yeah. Divine. yeah. And 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 uh, if, for people who aren't familiar with who Patty or Patricia, as she's credited, Hearst is, she's the the grand granddaughter of William Randolph Hearst. Yeah, granddaughter of uh, she, so the heiress, like billionaire heiress of William Randolph Hearst, uh, uh, you know, like huge publishing magnate, like billionaire model for Citizen Kane. Right. Uh, and he, if you saw Mank, you certainly know who William Randolph Hearst is or was. And right. Patricia Hearst was his granddaughter who was kidnapped in the 1970s and held for ransom by the, I forget what, like, it was like some liberation group, you know, uh, one of, one of these, uh, you know, militant groups that kind of sprung from the hippie movement. Sure. Uh, and so she was she was kidnapped, but then became part of the gang. Yeah, and, like, and he- was like robbing bank. banks with yeah. them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a movie. There was a movie um, that I believe also came out in 1988 about her called Patty Hearst. About Patty Hearst, right? Who played her in that one? I'm drawing a blank. I I want to say Patsy Kensit for some okay. reason, but maybe it's just the Patty. Yeah, Patsy and thing. Uh, I, and she appears in Serial Mom, as does. Uh, Tracy Lords and Mink Stoll, uh, who's hilarious. Um, and it's really fun watching her in this and then like going back and remembering her in movies like Pink Flamingos, which was my foray into John Waters films. I remember I was at uh, a summer camp and there was like the group of, you know, like older kids who, you know, had this interest in film that kind of brought me into that world a little bit and they were definitely into like the the weirder stuff like the trauma movies and um a lot of them actually went on to uh work on trauma movies and um actually i i want to make sure that i get his last name right because um there was a movie that came out uh, i want to say it was like two years ago um 
Sorry, I'm going to just take a second here. Well, while while you're doing that, let me clarify that it was Natasha Richardson. Natasha Richardson who played uh, who played Patty Hearst in Patty Hearst. Okay, so uh, one of the people who actually first showed me Pink Flamingos was David Yurevsky, who directed Brightburn, and I uh, was no kidding. Yeah, so he was at the summer camp and. Yeah, he was one of the guys. Uh, I I remember he was uh, quite the character, and uh, has gone on to to become quite successful and and very obviously taken the path that he seemed like he was going to be taking when he was like seventeen or whatever it was. So it's really nice when that happens. Yeah, and uh, Pink Flamingos. When I saw it, I could not believe what I was seeing, as was the response from most people who saw Pink Flamingos not knowing what to expect. And uh, it was something that I loved. My, I mean, I had a Pink Flamingos poster on my dorm, my freshman year of my dorm wall, my freshman year of college. Like it was, it definitely just like left a huge impression. And it was somewhat of a, you know, a signal to me that it's like, you don't have to do the things that are expected of you. You don't have to do things the same way. What's up? Which, and by the way, you know, it's, it's, it's June and we want to recognize Pride Month. Yeah. So, which, you know, we talked about in, you know, do it. We didn't, that wasn't in consideration when we picked a John, we picked a John Waters movie because we're both fans of John Waters. (laughs) And And we couldn't believe that we had taken so long without covering him. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, it's for, for a, with a concept like ours, it's kind of it's tricky because one of the things that that we were discussing when we were picking this was that it's kind of like the John Waters movies that you would, you know, do something with. It's already like Hairspray, yeah. like you said, adapted into a Broadway musical, right. which was then adapted Ooh, wildly into successfully. A, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, adapted then into a successful film. Crybaby, not as successfully, was adapted into a Broadway musical. It did not last long. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. But I could I see, didn't that. see that. Yeah, I could. I could see that happening pretty easily. Yeah, it's kind of like like Crybaby's kind of like lightning in a bottle. Like it's it's Johnny Depp, nineteen ninety. Right. So. Yeah, this is like, I mean, long before he became like silly hat Johnny Depp. Yeah. Uh, this is Johnny like, Depp in his prime Johnny Depp. Yeah, yeah well, uh, yeah, though it's 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 hard to say. I feel like Johnny Depp really had a moment in like the early 2000s around like Pirates of the Caribbean well, and Finding Neverland. Right, but I'm, I'm thinking, you know, post Edward Scissorhands and... Uh, you know, this is at a time where, you know, of course, uh, post 21 Jump Street, where, right. you know, it's like this is somebody who's breaking out of his kind of heartthrobby, like teen heartthrob persona and taking chances mm-hmm. with people like, you know, Tim Burton on playing these odd characters and, you know, working with people like John Waters, who Jim Jarmusch, Jim Jarmusch. Oh, yeah. And Dead Man. That was early 2000s, I want to say. I think it was. I think I no, I think that was ninety five. That was ninety five or ninety six. Jeez, I mean, I think I just yeah. saw it and didn't know when it came out. Um, no, it it, yeah. it does have a t- 
timeless. Yeah. It does have a really time. I mean, it's in black and white. Yeah. And, but it's very, yeah, it, it's such an interesting movie. It's a movie that I often think about going back to because I never think I've, I don't think I've ever fully gotten it, but it's not, it's like a movie that I'm like, I want to get this. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. but we're not here to talk about Dead Man. No, no. Uh, maybe another time. I mean, we'll we're see. here to talk about a, a couple of Dead Men. Yeah. So let's get into by, a little yeah. synopsis. So. The Sutfins are your standard suburban family. Eugene is the town dentist. Just about everyone goes to see him. Chip is a high school student with a wild imagination and a love for cheesy horror flicks. Misty is a boy-crazy teen. And Beverly is a chipper housewife and stay-at-home mom who recycles. Oh, and she has a secret fascination with serial killers and prank calls her neighbors. But it's all good, clean fun until she murders one of Chip's teachers after a parent-teacher conference gone wrong. Beverly will do anything for her family, and I mean anything. She also kills the object of Misty's affection, who dumped her for another girl. As the town and cops catch on to Beverly's bloodlust, they turn against her and do their best to catch her red-handed. She's finally caught when she kills Chip's friend Scotty, who witnessed her killing a woman with a leg of lamb as she watched the musical Annie. Beverly is caught by the police and a trial is held where Beverly decides to represent herself. She manages to discredit all of the witnesses or tricks them into siding with her, hypnotizing them with her raw sexuality. In the presence of the entire town, her family, a jury of her peers, and Suzanne Summers, who is slated to play Beverly in a biopic, Beverly is acquitted. But Beverly takes one more victim before leaving the courthouse. One juror who distracted her the entire trial by wearing white shoes after Labor Day and gets what's coming to her in a phone bank down the courthouse hallway. So Beverly is played by Kathleen Turner. Eugene is played by Sam Waterston, who, I mean, I appreciate him so much more since he's in a John Waters movie. Uh, uh, John Waters' crew member, Ricky Lake, as Misty. Matthew Lillard, I believe, making his screen debut as chip uh first leading role i think he had i I think he had had a couple of little uh bit bit parts yeah well i mean after this was slc punk and uh you know scream and scream you know this definitely was his first big moment to that really led open the breakout and and may I may I say while while I've already interrupted uh this I just realized we've done a Ricky Lake double feature as Ricky Lake appears in Cabin Boy that's as right the I don't know what she's you like call the, it, the siren on the front of the boat the, the siren on the front right yeah. of the filthy whore the filthy whore that's right oh my god I did not even put that together uh so we have Mink Stoll as Dottie Hinkle the woman who uh Beverly is tormenting with <laughs> Prank phone calls and like letters made from cutouts from magazines with obscenities on them. And it's just delicious. I'm actually going to play a, a quick clip of uh, one of these prank calls. Hello? Is this the cocksucker residence? God damn you. Stop calling here. Isn't this 4215 pussy way? You bitch. Now let me check the zip code. 212 fuck you. Beverly, Beverly, darling, you home? The police are tracing this call this very minute. Well, Dottie Hinkle, then why aren't they here, huh? Fuck face, fuck you! <laughs> Beverly, you home? I know you 
her neighbor who just walks in. Oh, yeah. Everly? Didn't I just say fuck you? I beg your pardon. Who is this? Mrs. Wilson from the telephone company. I understand you're having problems with an obscene phone caller. Yes, I am. I'm sorry, Mrs. Wilson, but this is driving me crazy. I've had my number changed twice already. I'm a divorced woman. Please help me. Beverly? What exactly does this sick individual say to you? I can't say the words out loud. I don't use bad language. Oh, well, I know it's difficult, but we need to know the exact words. I'll try. Cocksucker, that's what she calls me. Listen to your filthy mouth, you fucking whore! God damn you! <laughs> Motherfucker! Cocksucker! Definitely. Rosemary. Are you all right? Oh, yes, of course, I'm fine. I feel like the most uh, John Waters line in there is, I'm a divorced woman, please help me. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's funny because that line seems so like, why is it in there? And I, this is before the the flashback where you see that Dottie Hinkle like rudely steals a parking spot that Beverly right. is waiting patiently for with her signal on. But that made me think I was like, is does is Beverly like tormenting her as a punishment for her being divorced? Because Beverly is like this. Uh, well, she's here's the mm-hmm. thing is that I'm sorry to interrupt, but Beverly seems to have uh, a problem instantly once somebody is breaking a rule and I of society. Well, but the thing is like, okay, so there's the one neighbor who doesn't recycle. And so she hates her for that. There's Scotty who doesn't wear his seatbelt and she keeps on Mm -hmm. harping on that. She's, you could tell she's getting bothered by the detectives because one of them is chewing gum and she sees chewing gum as just like horribly rude. So I feel like the stealing the parking space is really the thing that she finds abhorrent and I don't think that the divorce is so much Well a part I was of just it. I was thinking of it in terms of like I was thinking of it really in terms of kind of like more like maybe not as much in the nineties, but in the eighties, there was still this like judgment and Beverly, you know, very much presents as like an eighties, even pre eighties homemaker. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think that even one of the detectives refers to them as like the cleavers, the cleavers. Right. So it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been surprising if, if if that dot if Dottie's you know being divorced wasn't something that Beverly was like oh she's fair game then because I could see you could see her as being one of those you know like um 
you know, she adheres to these rules that are not just laws. I mean, the parking spot thing is not Dottie Hinkle didn't break a law. No, she broke she's a just societal rude. courtesy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's the other thing I, I really love about the characters that Beverly goes after is that they are. With the exception, I would say, of of the juror uh, played by Patty Hearst. Well, she wears white after Labor Day. She wears white after Labor Day, but she it's it's what's interesting is there's a contrast. So everyone who who Beverly kills is just obnoxious enough so that as an as an audience member, I don't feel I don't feel bad like that. That teacher is, I mean, first, like, he's racist. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. It, it's totally like it, it's it's almost the 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 stereotype. Uh, by the way, he's like a, a math teacher who's pretending like he's the guidance counselor or something yeah. because he tells the mother who's in there before Beverly, uh, you know, oh, he's not college material. Right. And, um, you know, this is when he's talking to uh, a woman who's black. And, right. Yeah. And and she's like, you know, she's like, oh, well, you know, this is this is what we're thinking. And he's just like, well, I think he just he's and I'm, you know, recognizing that as like something that is commonly reported from people who said, oh, yeah, no, I totally went to a like racist school. And this is what sure teachers said. Uh, so. So it's it's kind of like you, you're already you already don't like him. And then he's making all of these other personal judgments. He's talking about pretty much anything other than math. Yeah. So for Chip, the thing that he's talking to Beverly about is that he's been drawing, you know, these kind of like horror, these ghastly horror drawings right. during the class yeah. which she's like isn't his he's so imaginative and you know she's so supportive of you know her son who's got this creative mind and uh, yeah i mean yeah it just it it it, <laughs> it it comes like he's personally judging she, she he's like your son needs therapy right. i mean you know like it'd be I'd be fired if I said, right? We'd at least get like, there would be consequences if I said something like that to a parent. Right. Like that's not, as a teacher, that's not my place yeah. to say that. I might like, you know. By the way, everybody, Dan mentioned that he's a oh, teacher. Yeah. Take a shot. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's relevant. It's relevant. Right now. It's totally relevant. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, let's put it this way. I don't think any of my students' parents are going to run me down in the parking lot. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it, I mean, it, it's just, this is, he's unlikable. So she, so like when she kills him, you don't, you don't feel as bad. Sure. Uh, for, yeah, Misty's the guy who Misty was dating, right. who's off with another girl, uh, the girl played by Tracy, Tracy Lords. Uh, you know, <laughs> You don't like him instantly, and you're okay with her killing him with a, yeah. uh, what is it, a fireplace tool? Yeah, like a fireplace poker. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, he gets he gets his, and you certainly don't mind. I mean, the thing is, like, the people that she goes after are people who uh, wrong her family, and people who... Uh, 
you know, clutch their pearls at the, you know, at the sight of, you know, something that she doesn't believe in. Right, right. I, I do. I, by the way, and then there's the, uh, Mrs. Jensen. Mrs. Jensen, oh, well, she, she the video store. Mrs. Jensen, the video store who loves Bill Cosby. And I mean, that joke, it's funny because that joke in in the context of this movie, it just is funnier now that I, you know, we we know know more more. about Bill Cosby's behavior and he's uh, so it's you're all she's so obnoxious and the not rewinding. Let's listen to that really quick. Yeah. Good morning, Mrs. Jensen. Haven't you had enough violence, Chip Sutton? Turn that filth off. Sorry, ma'am. Do you have the musical, Annie? Sure do. Did you bring back Ghost Dad? There you go. I just love Bill Cosby pictures. Miss Jensen, I've told you, you have to rewind the tapes before returning them. Why? Because it's the rules. I don't feel like rewinding them. You see that sign? It's a dollar fine for not rewinding, and this time I'm going to charge you. $2.99 plus $1 is $3.99. Keep the change, you son of a psycho. What a bitch. The influence of all those family films. So I feel like the thing that bothers Beverly the most, who's, by the way, listening in from a, a back room, is that she broke the rules. Not so much that she, you know said something mean about her she she broke the rules right well she but though it, the rule doesn't it, it doesn't apply it, she broke the rules but then there's also the case of the um the guy who i forget the name of of the guy and, and his wife who um the dental patient yeah, yeah the dental patient she kills him because he was i mean she killed like he's just rude and he's rude he calls yeah he like he calls on a what's like they were supposed to go bird watching and he ruins her plans with her husband that's right. why she kills him yeah yeah and sh- does she overhear him saying mean things about her husband i remember him saying oh yeah yeah, yeah. so i think that that because she if I remember from putting it together correctly, she was actually out to get Scotty, but I think that she goes past their house or is she intentionally going to their house? She's intentionally going to their house. They intercut it so that you don't, it's what I forget what the old, what the trick is, is called, uh, in, in filmmaking. Oh, but yeah. Where the they're editing herring. back and. Yeah, I guess a red herring because because the Sutfins think that she's going after Scotty right. because Chip says something cops. about, oh, Scotty thinks you're the killer. And so they go to Scotty's house right. while she's going to the Sterner's house. Sterner, right. Yeah. And then and they show up at, at Scotty's and he is masturbating. Meanwhile, Beverly is at uh, is at the Sterners, and she um, 
I know she she stabs Mrs. Sterner with the with the scissors. Right. And I forget. Oh, right. She pushes the air conditioner out onto oh, yeah. Mr. Sterner. Oh my god. Well, they were jerks. Yeah. It, yeah. That's the thing. Like they they were they were jerks. Uh, Dottie Hinkle steals the the parking spot. Oh, who um I mean for Scotty, I mean yes, yeah, Scotty breaks the law uh, with the seatbelt. Right. But also witnesses her uh killing um right, Mrs. But Jensen. every time she talks about him, she always brings up the fact that he doesn't wear his seatbelt. Right, right. So maybe that's I, I don't know if that's maybe something uh in in the the writing that's uh, a little I it never struck me as unclear as whether she was it felt to me like they're breaking a rule whether it's a, a formal rule or just a rule of society yeah. that that's who she that's who she goes after yeah well either way you she does things in a way that make you still root for her She's, you know, you're you're on her side. And I feel like John Waters has a way. And, and Kathleen Turner definitely understood the assignment if, in terms of Twitter, yes. you know, trends. But Kathleen Turner fully got what John Waters was going for. And he has a way of bringing you into that character. And I feel like, you know, because people like Matthew Lillard's character, Chip, and, you know, her whole family even though they know about her situation, you know, they're still on her side. They're still in support of her. Same with Chip's girlfriend, whose name I'm blanking on. But it's, I don't know, you kind of become part of their clan, part of their crew, and uh, it's just fascinating. Well, John Waters, his movies all take place in this, like, altered universe this slightly altered universe yeah, it's called baltimore that <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly exactly not having spent a lot of time in baltimore i i couldn't tell you but yeah i mean yeah i, I think people from baltimore certainly have uh an appreciation for john waters films yeah. that the rest of the world uh does not but i he creates a tone part of it is just i i was thinking about uh, I was thinking about this during the opening credits because I was also thinking about the opening credits of Pecker. Okay. Where, which is, but I think it's like just Pecker like going around and taking like pictures of weird things right. around Baltimore. And the John Waters, like the written and directed by John Waters credit is always on something gro like either just grotesque or off-putting like in pecker i think it's it's like pecker's taking a picture of, of two rats having sex oh, yeah 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 and that's where they're written into right and this one it's like the 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 like squashed fly right is the written and it, it was funny because i was actually like i was i was as i'm watching it and i'm watching the credits and i see she's gonna kill the fly even before she kills the fly i'm like oh yeah that's right the written and directed by john waters is that's over funny the you know i, I didn't know that about his uh his films that that's the style i mean i i i'm <laughs> I'm saying this for two of his several movies. Right, I can't but I'm remember. curious to like go back and look at some of the other ones because it feels like something that he would definitely do intentionally. Oh, ab absolutely. And that's that's where I, I I feel like 
a lot of, you know, like the reviews of Serial Mom that were talking about, like maybe it being uneven or things like that. I feel like John Waters is very intentional with his choices. Yeah. And I really appreciate the way that he presents this film on the surface of being like a family film. And, you know, it's not presented the same way that Pink Flamingos is presented. It's not presented the same. Well, I mean, definitely. But it's also not presented the same way that Crybaby is presented. It's kind of got its own vibe to it. And you can tell that he puts a lot of care into making sure that you are comfortable in that world and that you understand the vibe that he's going for. And uh, yeah, he just does such a good job with it. I really appreciate his work. Well, and I feel like a lot of his work really, it it has a, a toe, if not an entire foot in that like 1950s, 1960s, like just the, tr- yeah. it, it's kind of about what's lay, what's beneath the surface mm-hmm. of that, you know, the, the shiny surface, which I, I think why divine was such a perfect leading lady yeah for him because it it divine represented i i think divine like represented that like we're gonna show you the surface but we're also gonna show you what is beneath the surface and you're gonna appreciate well that's also why that photo that's been going around the past five years of Donald Trump and Divine's reaction to him back in the 80s, uh, I believe, could have been, yeah, probably 80s, early 80s maybe. Uh, You know, it's such a perfect vision of Donald Trump, you know, because you have the reaction from the person that recognizes, you know, scum, and Phil Divine knows a piece of shit when she sees one. That is absolutely true. So, uh, yeah. So, well, and it's it's, it, it's fascinating. It, it's funny you mentioned Donald Trump because I was reading an interview with Kathleen Turner because you know Kathleen Turner has not been very active recently. No. I think she has made some appearances on the Kaminsky Method. Okay, the, the Michael Douglas. I've been uh, meaning to watch that. Uh, yeah, no, I I definitely after seeing that Kathleen Turner has made some appearances that interests me more, especially after watching Serial Mom. Yeah, because Kathleen Turner was such a huge sure star. Romancing the Stone, yeah, Body Heat, Body Accidental Heat. Tourist. Uh, you know, I mean, Jewel of the Nile sequel to Romancing right. the Stone. Uh, Peggy, Sue, Peggy got Sue got married, which I also I watched recently. Um, I believe it's on our list. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, she, the voice of Jessica Rabbit and right. friend Roger Rabbit. So uh, Kathleen Turner is such a, you know, uh, a wonderful actress. And this interview with her, um, it was from, I, I was really curious. I was, I knew that she had uh, been diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. Right. Yeah. And I that, that, that too. And that that was affecting her. And uh, I read this uh, interview with her on, on Vulture uh, from August, 2018 and she talks about like meeting Donald Trump at a party and like this gross handshake where he like took his finger and like like stroked her wrist Ugh. when she shook his hand and she was it is like in this interview you could tell like she just has no fucks to give yeah and 
and she's just like, I mean, ew. Like, yeah. how else do you react? War of the Roses yeah. mm-hmm. is another one. Pritzi's honor just to kind of like no. throw out she's fan- a few of She's these. fantastic. And I, yeah. I love that she did this movie. And, you know, when people are in John Waters movies, like it's kind of like the opposite of when I find out that somebody's in a Woody Allen movie, you know? Uh, you know, it's, it just shows a judge of character. And uh, if you are the type of person who enjoys watching John Waters movies and appreciates that type of film, and you know that a certain actor either wants to or has been in like one of his movies, you know, their, their stock goes up a little bit. And what I will also say is that somebody like Johnny Depp, I think in, uh, was it 1990? That crybaby came out like, mm-hmm. you know, that was still we we didn't know at that time yet if he was going to become the creep that we are finding out about now. But um, we certainly know that yeah. at that time he was making really bold decisions to work with really creative and out there filmmakers. Yeah, I mean, yeah, abs- absolutely. And yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. Also, it's like John Waters, I I think, has always been very uh, honest about who he is. He hasn't this. Right. And, and he's also like not an awful person. And I think, you know, that because of his honesty, also because like I don't I, no one has ever had anything neg- to the best of my knowledge. No one has ever had anything negative to say about John Waters. No one who's who's worked with him, at least. <laughs> No, and you know he's he's very much himself. He you know d- has defined a and cultivated a look a- and a and a persona, and it's somebody that you know you you would recognize the second you saw them, and uh, you gotta love that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely big fan. I, I, some of his movies, like Pink Flamingos, I found uh, was was. I mean, maybe I need to go back and watch it again. It's been a while. That one was a bit challenging for me. Um, but yeah. So what's interesting is that Kathleen Turner was not, not necessarily. I don't know if that was who he originally wanted but i know that they had talked about other actresses i saw julie andrews name mentioned yeah as a possibility and like meryl streep glenn close if you think of the you know actresses of that time who would play uh you know a character of that age that type of role yeah it's it's a june cleavery type of uh character right right but i and i think that it, it was just perfect with Kathleen Turner. Like you said, she understood the assignment. Yeah. And I think that that clip of her doing the prank calls was, you know, a great example of, you know, what this character was meant to be from the very beginning. She has so much fun and all the, like the moments where she's writing the notes on the notepad when she, before she starts representing herself, when she's writing the notes about like Gerard number eight wearing white shoes after Labor Day. It was so, so funny. And just how that is like, (laughs) that's what gets her. And this woman is such a sympathetic juror to her. Yeah. No, here, actually, let's listen to the, the moment at the very end when she actually uh, meets the juror. We did it. We 
set her free. I knew she was innocent right from the beginning. You can't wear white shoes after Labor Day. That's not true anymore. Yes, it is. Didn't your mother ever tell you? Ah! Ah! Now you know. No, please. Fashion has changed. No, it such, hasn't. It's such great dialogue. But I also think of all of her victims, and, and it's so brilliant that this real, like the movie ends pretty much right after yeah. like not long after this like they they're in the hall they're they're in the hallway and she just wants to like get out before anyone finds the body and meanwhile like Suzanne yeah. Summers wants to like do a photo op and it, it ends before you really see if there's going to be any you know I mean I guess she can't be tried for the same crime again I don't I don't think uh so is that is that a mm, I don't double know. jeopardy no I don't. I don't know. I mean, I'm basing my knowledge on the Ashley Judd film. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, our uh, legal expert is uh, not in the in the room at the moment. But um, yeah, the so going back to what I what we were just talking about with the actors who are in John Waters movies, you know, being of a certain I, I don't know, like street cred, you know, type of situation. I do question that for Suzanne Summers. Part of me wonders if she actually knew what she was like getting into with this movie. I think she knew she was getting into a paycheck. She's going to do a paycheck, a Kathleen Turner movie. You know, I think that's pretty much, I don't know. I just, I, I'd love to know how that all went down aside from the getting a paycheck situation. I mean, I don't know. I feel like Suzanne Summers is one of those personalities that, that John Waters would just be looking for the opportunity to put into a movie. Yeah. There's that whole, the judge, I loved you on three's company. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, so yeah, we don't, I, I so uh, I love the choice that, when she finally kills someone who as as an audience member you don't necessarily dislike doesn't do right. anything dislikable and in fact is on the side of our protagonist yeah and they and waters doesn't necessarily give you first of all you're in you're bought in you've bought in by that point well so here's my two cents on that situation. I get the feeling that Beverly suspects that that juror is wearing white shoes every single day in order to distract her. I Because we have to remember that, like, Beverly doesn't think rationally. She is a serial killer. She has a fascination with serial killers. She you know, corresponds with Ted Bundy. Like, there are, you know, things about her that, you know, begin way before this movie takes place. So she doesn't think rationally. And most, like, other serial killers, she probably believes that there's some sort of conspiracy going on. And what it could be this something as simple as somebody wearing white shoes after Labor Day just 
to fuck with her. It, look, it's just a no, theory. That, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and I mean, it, she definitely is distracted by it. I, yeah, I just don't know that I'm, I'm entirely convinced that the juror or that, she, that, that she thinks that I don't think she, I, I, I don't, I don't get, I'm going mostly based on her visual visual reaction to it the way that her face reacts when every time she notices the shoes and the way that the juror uh who is patty Hearst, by the way uh the way that the juror kind of has her feet placed in a very prominent way she's in the front row i know but the way when you have the shots of them you know, it's almost like the feet do motions to kind of draw attention to them. There's a close up. Oh my goodness! Not the way that the camera moves. Yeah, the way that her I, feet oh, move. I, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. It's I just know. a hit. Yeah. No, I know. Yeah, you know. I got you. I got you. <laughs> I mean, no, I understand it. I. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because I don't know. I feel like if she were killed just because of i don't know breaking a societal rule an informal like a non you know written in stone law then she what would have stopped her from doing something about people chewing gum is it just because she already then had opened up the uh you know the vault, but, that, but she and, does and kill people out. for doing. I mean, like Mister, the math teacher doesn't do anything illegal, and it's no. not right. Well, okay, so the math teacher, right, and like kind of insults her son. So yeah, you have that. But I, I, I mean, she kills the whatever the step the you know dentist patient. Yeah, Be- because they're disrespecting her. Family. Right. It's just, well, or she's, they're disrespecting, like, they, you know, demanded her husband's time when he was yeah, scheduled to be off. It's, it's not illegal. Right. It's just fucking no. rude. No. So, Dan, I, well, first of all, I, you know, I mentioned how John Waters came into my life. What was your introduction to John Waters? Most, I think hairspray, I think just like hair, I think just, uh, hairspray being aware of it. And I probably rented it when it, when it came out on VHS, I'm pretty sure that was, that was how I first saw it. And I think I saw that before I saw cry baby. I mean, otherwise it was cry baby and you know, you could check out the, uh, tango and cash episode to, uh, yeah, (laughs) that's (laughs) no, it was the episode after the tango and cash episode, I believe. Yeah, oh, what? I know because I thought I remember having that conversation with because we had Eric Eric Goslin on for Tango and Cash, and I feel because it was after because Gabris was talking about it for Double Impact, how double how like oh for some reason I, Double Impact whatever. yeah anyway uh, well anyway check out the Tango and Cash may. episode and yeah. the the episode just after that the, episodes the other one. Yeah, I so anyway, I just going back to what you were saying um and hairspray, I'd love to do a double feature of shampoo and hairspray. Wow, you know I've kind never seen little, shampoo. Really? I've I watched it if maybe like 8 years ago or something. It's 
but it's one that I've always wanted to revisit. I've always wanted to watch it, but have not like kind of gone out of my way. And it's also like never streaming on any of the multitude of it's Warren Beatty. Did he direct that? No, Hal Ashby directed that. Hal Ashby directed it. Yeah, Warren Beatty, Goldie Hawn, right? And um, oh, I can picture her face, but I can't think of her name. It's driving me crazy. Uh, Julie Christie. I don't know. Uh, yeah, anyway. so anyway, so so Dan, oh, I think you were about to ask me the question I was about to ask you, because you mentioned- Is it what you would do with this movie? Yeah, well, you had mentioned earlier, uh, well, not too much earlier, a couple of minutes ago, that like there's a lot of stuff about Beverly that from before this movie that we don't know about. So right. I guess my, my my question is, is that is that what you're thinking? No, um, I had a hard time with this one, especially, you know, for the exact reasons why, you know, maybe we hadn't covered John Waters before because his films are so specific and, you know, there's so much that, you know, he is intentionally not telling us about. And, you know, if John Waters wanted to do something, I'm sure he would, you know, I, so I thought that it would be fun to have like some sort of comic book series that maybe, um, I don't know if it would explore the rest of her family or just, you know, a continuation of her story that's maybe not, you know, not what would necessarily be in a sequel because I don't think that there necessarily needs to be like one story. I think that there could just be kind of like, you know, living with my mom, the serial killer kind of a situation, the uh, acquitted secret serial killer. So it'd be funny if it was like, uh, like being drawn from Chip's perspective. Yeah. Or like, you know, doing it kind of like Dexter, but instead of, you know, this dark brooding guy, it's, you know, this happy, you know, housewife and stay at home mom. Well, and funny you should mention Dexter because that was certainly <laughs> one of the inspirations between what I was what I was thinking about, which was a a series. And I, I did I had a brief moment where I was like serial grandma, like I what yeah. can we do to get Kathleen Turner back in the role? But uh, yeah, uh, there's something that doesn't it feel would feel forced about it. And I was thinking right. about I was thinking about a series, and then I read uh, an interview from. 2017 uh with and on entertainment weekly that was it was oral history of serial mom it was kathleen turner and john waters and there had actually so and john and john waters idea was as a series because they they (laughs) they pretty much discuss like you know oh was there ever going to be a sequel and uh so he said, um, like, th- there was talk of different things. He says, I think it would make a good TV series where she kills once a month and you build to that every three episodes. And okay. I was thinking, I was like, it, you know, there's so many other shows that along those lines, like Weeds and Breaking Bad uh-huh. and Dexter, where it's this this double life. And I was... I was thinking about it. And first I was thinking about just like other actresses over the years who who would have been good in the, like like I imagine Sally Field <laughs> Sally Field 
She's so wonderful. Um, I'm sure we've talked about how great Sally Field is before. We have, but it's always worth mentioning. Sally Field is great. So, but of course, if you were to do this now, I thought about, uh, so there were a couple of names I thought about because I'm like, oh, if you do this now, um, you know, who do you cast? And there were a couple of people I thought about who would be really, uh, who I think would be really good. Like Christina Applegate, I think is kind of a, I don't, and it, it seemed to me like an obvious choice. Um, uh, Tracy Ellis Ross <laughs> of Blackish, who's playing, right. but the but the person who I really felt I was like, oh, she would nail this, and this would be like this would make her a star, is Jennifer Robertson of Shit's Creek. Oh, Joc- Jocelyn! Oh Shit. my God, Jocelyn! Shit, yes, uh, she'd be fantastic. I mean, you know that she can do that. Uh, troubled, but on the surface is trying to keep up appearances. <laughs> Definitely. I think Jennifer Robertson would make... Yeah, we've talked about her for before for We stuff. have. Yeah. I feel like, though, when we had talked about her before, I had not yet watched Shit's uh, Creek. Okay. And like you oh, she's mentioned, I think I'd seen like an episode or two. And yeah, you know, and it's funny because I was even thinking of you know, talking a bit more about Schitt's Creek on the last episode, because we were talking so much about Chris Elliott and, uh, sorry to kind of take a little side route here, but, um, this more relates to Chris Elliott and Cabin Boy, but, uh, Chris Elliott, in my opinion, is, first of all, I love him on Schitt's Creek but in a lot of ways, I kind of see him as the weakest link on that show. And that just is. But the thing is, like, he's fantastic on that show. And it's like, for me, like, if if Chris Elliott is ever like the weakest link on a show, that's a damn good show. Right. And, you know, it, it only gets better from him. And he's incredible on that show. Yeah, I also think he like. Not just his character, but his performance evolves over the course of the series. It does. Um, But Jennifer Robertson, I have to say, is steady and uh, perfect. Like there are lines. There's one line that she that that she has um, that I I it's one of those lines that just sticks in your head, though. I can't remember the exact wording of it. And it's something like, if you have never been in bed with a naked rolling shit, you have no idea. Oh, yeah. what I'm like, I, her delivery <laughs> of that line is, is so funny. And no, she's fantastic. I, oh, wow. I'm so sorry for this. It's a total tangent, but as, but I need to share this. And I, I was going to share it earlier, but this is total, like, out left field sharp turn here okay um so you know sometimes like you, there are certain lines from movies maybe they're movies that you haven't seen um a lot or haven't seen in a while but they're still stuck in your head and okay for years i would say for the last few years there has always been this line that has echoed in my head whenever we're like we're ordering um you know ordering food whether it's it's out somewhere or ordering uh, taken and um you know we order something on the side and i always in my brain just go on the salad which i finally realize is from stuart saves his family oh my god i think about stuart saves his family 
all the time. But it's so it's so, it was so it was as random as that line popped into my head. And it had been years where I was like, what is that from? What is that from? It's driving me crazy. <laughs> and then the other it finally like it's kind of like my brain filled in the rest of the scene. And there's like, you know, oh, Al Franken so in, in, in the get up. So anyway, yeah. sorry, I you reminded me of that and had to had to share. That's too funny. Um, you know, I think about Storytaze's family a lot. Because, and I'm a, I'm a big Vincent D'Onofrio fan, but I feel like my introduction to him really wasn't Stuart Saves' his family. Donnie. You know, I have def, I definitely saw him before, like in Adventures in Babysitting, like he was, he was around, I saw him in things, but the time that like I really remembered him from, that was Stuart Saves' his family. Excellent. Yeah. So anyway, what what an unlike what an unlikely uh, SNL movie spinoff. It really is, and it's. <laughs> but I haven't seen it in a long time. But I mean, used to watch it fairly regularly and found it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was on like Comedy Central uh, regularly. I'm pretty sure it was on a VHS tape that did not stray far from my VCR. Yeah. Yeah. Probably that too. So. Yeah. Anyway, I. Uh, yeah, John Waters movies, they're really difficult to imagine a, a life after the original. I mean, I think that the, um, you know, Hairspray becoming a musical and that musical then becoming a movie, you know, it's that makes a lot of sense. And um, I really appreciate the ways that and I've actually only really seen some clips from it. I haven't seen the whole movie of the musical adaptation but uh it seems like it really does honor the the john waters you know um vision you know it does it it, it it's yeah. a movie that i don't i i don't think i expected to like it this is and this is the the musical film version not right. the the original film i i i really didn't have high expectations but I remember really enjoying it and really, like and John Travolta who plays uh, right. Edna Turnblad. I really, I remember enjoying his performance. Yeah. Uh, he got the assignment. Yeah, he did. <laughs> he did. But, and I thought, yeah, I mean, yeah. it helps that there's uh, source material. Well, yeah. You know? Yeah. But it's like, it's kind of, it's hard because Divine played that role in the original right. film and then Harvey Firestein originated it on Broadway. Yeah. I mean, and for me, it's just, it's, it was hard to imagine anyone other than divine in that, sure. in that role. But yeah, I, I, I was uh, surprisingly pleased. And that it. one for me, you know, made John Travolta's like stock go up in my, you know, my mind a little right. bit. Right. Even though John I, Waters, know, I don't I don't know how involved he was. Like I think he might have been a producer on it. Yeah. That's the other that's the other challenging thing about uh doing anything more with John Waters properties is it's hard to imagine doing them without his involvement. Absolutely, yeah. So Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. So John Waters, I, you know, if you're listening, um I I I, I am putting forth this idea for the series with the caveat that you should be. I think that's where the, the, the by the way, where the comic book series it, it, like that's where you can. I, I think that's where you can have writers who understand John Waters humor 
take over. I feel like doing something in TV or film without John Waters being involved is challenging. Yeah, although you know who I would involve if there was to be some sort of television or film project about one of John Waters' films that he wouldn't be like, you know, the executive producer, you know, like Mm -hmm. really like running it. Uh, John Cameron Mitchell. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I feel like he's kind of a spawn of the the John Waters, you know, subculture. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, it would be interesting to know, like, if there's, like, a John Waters, like, protege. Yeah. Well, I'm just thinking about, well, I mean, Hedwig, obviously, but, like, things like Short Bus, where it's, like, somebody who's, you know, not afraid to take risks and, you know celebrate the the weirdos right and kind of go into that world so i feel like john cameron mitchell would be you know who i would want to uh handle a john waters spin-off or sequel or something you like got that. no arguments from me i'm a big fan of john cameron <laughs> mitchell <laughs> yeah um yeah john cameron mitchell that's that's. The I guy. unfortunately did not so, get to see him on stage in Hedwig and the Angry Inch. I saw. Uh-huh. I think my, I, I saw Michael Severus play Hedwig oh, on on stage cool. uh, off Broadway. Who I think was I, I forget if he was the, the first replacement for John Cameron Mitchell or the second. But goddamn Hedwig and the Angry Inch, man, uh, awesome show to see yeah. live. Uh, also an awesome movie. And John Cameron Mitchell. Was in the movie. He right? was in the yeah. movie and dir- directed. Yeah, it. the movie was. It was uh, like it was the original cast uh, of the mm-hmm. show, or at least like for him and uh, the character of Yitzhak, played by Miriam Shore. Miriam Shore mm-hmm. was uh, was in the film. I think the, the, what was what's awesome about that that movie, just to be ever so brief about it is that it fleshes out a lot that you only hear about in the stage show. Like they work very well independently of each other. Got it. Yes. So there, so they're a a recommendation and uh, you know, not, not to mention a great recommendation during pride month, but also any, at (laughs) any time of the year. Uh, It's awesome. Yeah. So, Dan, why don't you tell everyone what we're going to be covering on our next episode? Oh, yes. So we are leaving 1994 and Ricky Lake and and Chris Elliott or people associated with Chris Elliott. Now, um, we're going back to 1975 for the Sidney Pollack espionage thriller Three Days of the Condor starring Robert Redford, Faye Dunaway, Max von Sydow, Cliff Robertson... Yeah. Other people whose names are not it, coming to mind. It's a cool movie. I uh, it's it's the genre that I have been really feeling a lot lately. So well, you know, I watched I watched it not too long ago and I'm excited to watch it again. I watched Sneakers recently. So oh. uh, it's very much in that uh, Robert Redford espionage. Robbie Reds. Robbie yeah. Redford. Um yeah, Robbie Red Red. And uh, I not to talk too much about it already, but you know, it's it's based on a book which i believe is like six days of the condor and um i am gonna try to do a little bit of research on that too i won't have time to read the whole thing but i i i love that kind of stuff i think it's so much fun especially like 1970s oh yeah yeah well you know i'm uh i'm a sucker for 1970s cinema yeah yeah so 
everybody, uh, feel free to reach out to us. Let us know what you think. Uh, RuinChildhoodsPod at gmail.com. We also have a number of links at on our link tree. Link tr.ee slash ruin childhoods um john before before we sign off here i i uh statue of limitations oh okay so anybody who's listened to this show for the past hundred or so episodes knows that uh you know we talk a lot about uh from time to time movies that were Academy Award winners or nominees that maybe didn't deserve to be there for one reason or another. In a lot of cases, it's that a lot of movies were overlooked because they were not made by straight white men, mostly. And, and, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, black directors were overlooked um, for, for too long and, you know, weren't given opportunities because of the voting body of the academy and so we had talked about uh doing something called the hindsight awards at one point and you know the the idea kept on kind of like popping back and forth in my mind and a reason why i didn't decide to really pursue it is because if i was going to do it i wanted to do it right and that would mean um you know it not being voiced by me or Dan, you know, straight white men, and uh, rather kind of assemble panels of, uh, you know, people from all walks of life who are film experts or enthusiasts who uh, really know about what they're talking about um, in terms of the unknown cinema of um you know i guess like the 19 late 1920s until present day and uh there's a lot of underrepresented um nationalities uh subcultures things like that that just weren't known to a lot of people and so uh road microphones uh, a company that i like a lot that's uh based in australia i'm using one of their mics right now uh, they do a podcast competition, I think, once a year. This might be the third year they're doing it. And, you know, people submit one to two minute little snippets. So uh, they have a panel of um, judges, and you know, all who are big in the podcasting field. And they listen to all the submissions and uh, decide which is the best and there are certain runners up and things like that. And there's also an audience voting award. And um, that link is also in our link tree to go check that out and vote. And I'd really appreciate it. I feel like if I have the ability to say that I, that this concept won this competition or really any competition, I, I would have a better chance at pitching it to podcast networks to make it easier to fund the podcast so that I'd be able to compensate the panelists properly uh, for their time and their thoughtful consideration for each of these episodes. And, you know, uh, 1929 was the year of the first Oscars ceremony, and uh, 
you know, that means if we're doing it year by year, that's a lot of episodes to do this for. So, uh, yeah, sorry. That's a lot of talking for me, but I would love it if you would cast your vote. Um, it would mean a lot to, to me, to both of us probably. Yeah. I don't know. No, I'm, I'm, I'm like, yeah, totally. Uh, you know, so I voted totally in support hey, of, uh, of this project and would love to see it happen. Would maybe love to see it, make it on onto some lists and, uh, jack yeah. up that price Hollywood. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Get us before yeah, we hit uh, three figures. I, jeez. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> we get there. We get there. So, um, yeah, uh, Check it out. Uh, cast your vote. The what the clip that's on there is just a minute and a half long trailer, essentially, of what the show would be. So, yeah, please check it out. And uh, Dan, as you are uh, running away from that blue station wagon in a suburb of Baltimore, I wish you a good journey. Good journey. She keeps them away, Shonda. In a pretty cabinet Let them eat cake, she says Just like Marie Antoinette A building room 